Shall we pray? Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it brings life. And we pray now that as I speak, you would speak your truth to us. And we would share in your life. Amen. How often do you experiment with food? I know Jill probably does with her cakes, maybe. Occasionally from time to time put something a bit special in a cake. Well, I love experimenting with food and making all sorts of interesting things. In the past, I've had some killer combinations which you would not expect to work. Brown bread ice cream, amazing. Strawberries and balsamic vinegar, who would know? Banana pizza, solid. Really good, actually, but not quite as good as grasshopper pizza. That is the best pizza you can get. And my fa personal favorite, honey and cheese. Honey and cheese fans in the house? Maybe. My sister-in-law, I'm less sure about this one, I'm going to be honest. Marmite and marmalade. Oh, oh Jilly loves that. You like that one. Your, your husband, George, likes that. Well, there we go. He's, he obviously likes his marmite. Um, that's going to divide the room, isn't it? But um, I, I must admit, my experiments have not always gone well. Um, once I had a friend coming over for dinner, and I brought a really nice piece of fish, and I thought I'd do homemade chips with it. And I was a bit bored of chips. So I thought, well, let's spice them up. Let's create nutmeg chips. That did not work. Nutmeg chips is not cool. Do not do it. Um, why don't you just turn to a neighbor and tell, tell them about a, food, a food fusion that perhaps you've enjoyed or not enjoyed, just very quickly. Okay. Sometimes when we put different things together that shouldn't really go together, it works really well, and other times it does not. But in our reading this morning, we've got two completely separate events that are going to clash and are going to come together in the most awesome way. And, and this, is, this is happening in the second half of our reading from verse 12 onwards. Because we've got two big events that are mentioned here in our reading because there's, there's two big Christ, um, Jewish festivals. There's Hanukkah, which is celebrated in winter, and there's Passover, which is celebrated in spring. Now, Hanukkah remembered a story that happened some 170 years before Jesus. It was the moment when this guy called Judas Maccabeus led a rebellion against uh, the occupying Syrian Greek Empire. He marched into Jerusalem with his rebels and kicked them out of the temple, removed their Hellenistic idols and images, and rededicated the temple to God. Judas's followers came onto the streets of Jerusalem celebrating what he had done. And as they celebrated, they waved palm branches. And this was the moment when Judas and his family became kings 
of Israel. Later, Simon Maccabeus, Judas' brother, would also lead a rebellion and kick the Syrian Greek empire out of Judea altogether. And again, the people came out waving palm branches in the streets. And this history, this Hanukkah celebration, is in the minds of our crowd when Jesus rides into Jerusalem. They take those symbolic branches and shout, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And the shout itself is from Scripture. It's from Psalm 108, which celebrates God's kingship and the king's role of being God's representative here on earth. And that psalm was a royal psalm. And it was used in royal processions. And it further confirms what the crowd think. That Jesus, this man riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, is their king. So that's the first celebration, Hanukkah, where Israel receives a new king. And the second one is Passover. You see, these events should be kept well apart. One's in winter, one's in spring. But here they come together, you see, because it's at Passover that Jesus comes into Jerusalem. It's at Passover when the crowd have gathered in Jerusalem to remember that age-old story. The story of God saving his people from Egypt. The story of God setting them free through the sacrifice of the Lamb and the crossing of the Red Sea. The crowds gathered every year in Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. And now they were there in Jerusalem celebrating this festival, but also celebrating Hanukkah by waving palm branches. We've got this kind of food fusion going on right in front of us. It's a banana pizza, if you like. So what happens when we combine Hanukkah and Passover together? Well, we get Han- Hanover. Hano- oh, no, no, it's not a city in Germany. Um, what happens when we combine Hanukkah and Passover is we get the announcement of a new king of Israel who has come to claim his throne. And we get God's saving grace God's saving action, God's saving his people from slavery. A new king come to claim his throne and save his people. That is what is happening here in this moment in John's gospel as Jesus rides into Jerusalem. But it begs the question of what has this new king come to save his people from? If you remember the story of Hanukkah, Judas Maccabeus rides into Jerusalem to save his people from the Syrian Greek Empire. And surely this new king is going to save the Israelite people from Rome, the now occupying superpower who are ruling in Israel. Well, that's what the crowd hoped at very least. 
But there's more to this story than just that. And it's going to set Jesus out as a radically different king to Judas Maccabeus. You see, the whole story that we've just read is actually built on and framed by Lazarus. The story comes just a couple of paragraphs after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the grave. And if you remember the story from last week, if you were here, Jesus delays his trip to Bethany. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus has died. But when he is there, he does the most amazing miracle and raises Lazarus to life and calls him out of the tomb where he had been laid for four days and says, Lazarus, come. And so he gets up, leaves his grave clothes behind and walks out of the tomb alive and well. And as you could probably imagine, it doesn't take long for this remarkable event to become known across the region. And everything that Lazarus did, every breath that he took, every conversation that he had, every time Lazarus retold the story of being awoken from the tomb, people were turning to Jesus. Although we've got to slightly temper that because it's, these are the same people, the same crowd who, who shout Hosanna, but who within a week will shout crucify. You see, the crowd turn to Jesus because the miracle is amazing. The miracle is wonderful, but they have not understood the sign. And it's that reason that their, their shout will turn. You see, the miracle was not the point. The miracle was not the thing that Jesus really wanted people to see. He wanted them to see the miracle, but to see it as a signpost, pointing them to himself, pointing them to who he was and what he was going to do. Because the miracle tells us about the person and the work of Jesus. And this is where the first half of our reading comes in this morning, the anointing of Bethany, the anointing at Bethany even. Now back in Bethany, Jesus is anointed by Mary in a most outrageous moment of generosity and devotion. This was no ordinary oil, but the most precious, extremely expensive oil. It probably cost the same as a year's wages, a whole year's wages. And she takes it and she lathers it all over Jesus' feet. And it's clear that, that she's anointing Jesus as king, but not just any king, because she considers her hands too rough to touch him. His head too holy to anoint. So she uses her hair to wipe and anoints his feet. This is a radical, radical statement about Jesus' status. This is not just some king. 
For Mary, this is the true king, the king above all kings. And so here we come to a contrast with Judas. You see, Judas Maccabeus came with spear and sword to deal with the Syrian Greek Empire. Jesus' rebellion, his battle, would take place on a completely different plane. You see, the anointing at Bethany has a double meaning. Yes, it's about the kingship of Jesus. Yes, he is king. Yes, he is the true king. But Jesus himself interprets the events and says, it's actually preparation for my death. He says, it it was intended that she should save this perfume from the day of my burial. Anointing Jesus for his death points us forward to where this king's battle will take place. You see, Judas Maccabeus led a revolution against the foreign oppressors with sword, with horses. But Jesus' revolution would be waged not against Rome, but against the powers of death, the power of sin and evil in our world. And it is through Jesus' death that that battle would be waged, and it is through his death and resurrection that Jesus will conquer evil. He will defeat sin, and he will conquer death once and for all. And not just for Jesus, but for the whole of humanity. For each one of us who choose to believe in him, he has won the battle over sin and death. And he says to each one of us, because I have gone there for you, because I have died for you, I have opened up the way through which you can have life and life to the full. It's yours. Just believe in me. Because this is the kind of king that I am. am. This is the kind of kingdom that I am establishing. A kingdom that reaches beyond the powers of this world. That reaches each one of us in our hearts. And draws us to him. It is a kingdom that offers life and freedom and hope. That offers peace in the most of uncertain times. Even when we're still ruled by Rome or Boris Johnson, or whatever else is going on in the world, Jesus' kingdom has come, and there's nothing that can stop it, because Jesus has gone there for us. And he says, come, receive from me life. We have two events combining themselves together here in this one moment as Jesus rides into Jerusalem. We have Hanukkah, the celebration of a new king. We have the Passover, the celebration of God saving his people. And we have Jesus, the linchpin of these two events coming together. Jesus, the new true king. Jesus, the king who will die to save not just his people, but the whole of the world from sin and from death. And so, 
as we enter into Holy Week. Perhaps we can be reminded of who this king is in our lives. Because like the crowd, I don't know about you, but I so often find it easy, easy to be distracted from what this king is and what this king came to do. And I kind of come up with my own kind of Jesus, the Jesus that I want him to be. The, king, the crowd wanted Jesus to be a, a particular kind of king, like Judas, who was going to come in and kick the Romans out. But Jesus had bigger fish to fry than that. And so often, in my own little human head, I think, well, Jesus, if you can do this for me, and you can do that for me, and you can do that for me, then I'm going to be happy. And Jesus says to me, well, actually, John, I don't want to do any of that for you, not because I don't love you, but because I've got much better things for you, because I'm fighting a whole bigger battle for you, and I want you to know more of who I am, and more of my generosity, and more of my love. So stop thinking about your own little human things, and Start thinking about what I can do for you. Is anyone else like me in that respect? I've got a few nodding heads. That makes me feel not alone. Great. (laughs) Makes me feel like I'm not a completely useless vicar. Some of the time, anyway. So, as we journey into Holy Week, as we're reminded of the story of Jesus, of the climax of this king's ministry, of what he came to earth to do. Perhaps we can take time today, this week, to realign our priorities with his priorities, to be a little bit more merry, if you like, to fall at his feet with everything that we've got, And say, Lord Jesus, come and be the king that you are in my life, rather than the king I want you to be in my life. Shall we pray? Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came that you came to be king, that you came to defeat the powers of evil, sin, and to conquer death. And where our faith is weak, would you give us faith? And Lord Jesus, where we want you to fit into our lives, where we want to uh, make you be the Jesus that we want you to be. Lord Jesus, would you help us lay those down at your feet? Jesus, would you give us a bigger vision of who you are? A greater understanding of what you are doing in this world. That we would see 
the world the way you see the world. That you'd give us wisdom to live your way. To know your agenda. And to wholeheartedly follow after it. Lord Jesus, would you send your Holy Spirit to enable us to do these things? Because it is only in your strength that we can stand. 